This podcast is a presentation of Nags Head Church. Stay tuned and find us online at nagsheadchurch.com and on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Nags Head Church. The September 11th attacks were a series of four coordinated terrorist attacks by the Islamic terrorist group Al-Qaeda on the United States on the morning of September 11th, 2001. We are today 15 years from that event. And it's still fresh, isn't it? The attacks killed 2,996 people and injured over 6,000 others and caused at least $10 billion in property and infrastructure damage and $3 trillion in total costs. Four passenger airliners operated by two major U.S. passenger air carriers, United Airlines and American Airlines, all of which departed from airports on the Northeast United States, bound for California, were hijacked by 19 Al-Qaeda terrorists. One of them, they found his passport in the World Trade Center area. Two of the planes, American Flight 11 and United Flight 175, were crashed into the north and south towers, respectively, of the World Center Complex in New York City. And within an hour and 42 minutes, both 110-story towers collapsed with debris and the resulting fires causing partial or complete collapse of all the other buildings in the World Trade Center Complex, including the 47-story 7 World Trade Center Tower, as well as significant damage to 10 other large surrounding structures. A third plane, American Airlines Flight 77, was crashed into the Pentagon, leading to a partial collapse of the building's western side. The fourth plane, United Airlines Flight 93, initially was steered toward Washington, D.C., but crashed into a field in Stony Creek Township near Shanksville, Pennsylvania, after its passengers tried to overcome the hijackers. It was the deadliest incident for firefighters and law enforcement officers in the history of the United States. Total of 411 emergency workers died as they tried to rescue people and fight fires. The New York City Fire Department lost 343 firefighters, including a chaplain, the chaplain that you saw in the video, died that day and two paramedics. The New York City Police Department lost 23 officers. The Port Authority Police Department lost 37 officers and eight emergency and medical technicians and paramedics from private emergency medical service units were killed. Those of us who are here today who are old enough to remember uh, that day in 2001 can probably give great detail about where we were and how we found out about what was happening. I was at my father-in-law's apartment in Portsmouth, Virginia, just two blocks from the Naval Hospital. He had passed away 13 days earlier, and Gail and I were there working on his belongings. She had gone to a meeting in Chesapeake, and so I was there alone and got up, made myself a cup of coffee, turned on the TV. And that it all unfolded live on the screen as the hosts of the 
Today Show, I was watching, we're getting the details, and I remember calling her. I said, do you guys have a TV there? You need to turn it on. We thought maybe the first plane was some sort of horrible accident. Uh, initially, those uh, in air traffic control, the report was it was a small private plane, but then it was figured out that was not the case. They were commercial, and they were hijacked. There were three international airports. There are three international airports within minutes of Manhattan. But as a, you know, we thought, what, if it's an accident, what a horrific accident it is. And as you saw in the video, the first responders came almost immediately. Firefighters began entering the tower, going up to find those they could guide out of the building. And more than panic, it seemed the people on the streets below were, were more curious as they watched, stood there and looked at what was happening before them. And then when the second plane came and crashed into the tower, the reality quickly sent in. This is not accidental. It was a deliberate attack on America. And then if it wasn't bad enough, as first responders were in the building attempting to do their jobs and save the lives that were in the towers, the towers came crashing down. And we could only wonder, watching on television, good Lord, how many lives are lost? How many people are there this morning at work? This was, was pandemonium then in the streets as people fled on foot for their lives, gasping, in the air that was more dust than it was oxygen. And we watched on the news as President Bush, while visiting an elementary school classroom in Florida, was given the news by his chief of staff, and the expression on his face spoke volumes, didn't it? And then we heard that another plane had crashed into the Pentagon, and, and yet another into a field in rural Pennsylvania. The pictures and the videos and the News reports began to reveal the acts of heroism performed by New York's finest and those from Fairfax County and Arlington County and Alexandria, Virginia. And as a nation, we were reminded once again how important you who are in public safety, how important you are to us. See, we saw them go into the buildings and so many, as I gave the numbers a few moments ago, hundreds never came out. I've been around uh, men and women in the fire service and EMS and law enforcement a lot in the past 13 years as I served the town of Nagshead as their chaplain. Uh, and whether we're sitting around a table in the firehouse or we're on the scene of a tragic accident or I'm riding along with a police officer, I've discovered how special these men and women truly are. Uh, somehow they've taken on jobs that to them are more than just employment. It's not just a paycheck for them. There are thousands of jobs to be had that don't pose the risk of losing life in the course of a work day. But these men and women, they chose to be cops. They chose to be EMTs. They chose to be firefighters. And mostly because they know that what they do day in and day out makes a difference. And I'll tell you something else about them. They don't like a lot of fanfare. They really don't. They don't like to be called heroes in their minds when they, when they save a life, when they present, prevent the loss of life or property. They'll tell you, I'm just, I'm just doing my job. It's what I do. 
it's the mission that they've chosen to accept. But on, on this date, September 11th, this date on their calendar is etched in their hearts. And you'll see it pinned to their uniforms. You'll see 9-11 on a decal on their helmets. You'll see it on a poster in their stations. And they'll be thankful today for the flags lowered to half-staff and shake their heads at those who somehow have forgotten to lower theirs. Now, Nag said, Church, uh, we don't want to forget what happened 15 years ago, and we don't want to forget what you who are in public safety do for us every day. And, and I want to say to those who are here in this gathering, we're thankful uh, that you're here. We believe your lives matter. And we simply want to today, um, as a church, um, we want to say thank you. And we want to offer to you our prayers and our support. And I want to say to you, uh, let me, I want to continue our church, to encourage our church, uh, that you pray for our first responders. Did you hear the siren a moment ago? Uh, that wasn't planned. That wasn't staged. But I've said to you before as a church, you're out on the road, you're sitting at home, you're here in a church gathering, wherever you might be, and you hear a siren going down the road, stop and say a prayer. Not only for the person who right now needs help, but say a prayer for those who are driving and riding in those apparatus because they don't know necessarily what they're going into. So pray for them. So if today, if you are here and you are in public safety, whether whether that service is your career or you're a volunteer, or if you're retired from public safety, that includes law enforcement, 9-11 dispatchers, corrections officers, EMS firefighters, and lifeguards, coast guardsmen. If you're here this morning, I'd like for you right now, would you, I know you don't want to do this, but would you stand? Stand up if you are in uh, public safety. Now. I outrank everybody in here but George, all right? And let us, would you show your appreciation to these? Them? Oh, don't, don't sit down. You can't see him, most of you can't, but Ben's back there hiding in the corner, but he's back there as well. Thank you, guys. Thank you for being here. Um, and le let me say uh, this about, about these fellows, and uh, I'm sure we'll have some gals in the next gathering. Um, they, they would do for us if the need came. They would do for us what these people did in New York. I know they would. And uh, so pray for them. Be thankful for them. Uh, pray for them in their jobs. Stop by the fire station, the EMS stations, and take them a cake or cookies. Don't take those to the police station. They won't eat it because they don't know who you are. <laughs> and that's, that's truth. But I'll tell you what I appreciate. I eat breakfast every Sunday morning with a table of police officers. And, uh, and I'm always um, thankful when somebody else in the restaurant picks up their tab. You can do that sometime as well. Back to those familiar words that we, uh, we had a little bit ago. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus said that. He said that to his disciples 
just hours before he would be arrested in Gethsemane for crimes that he did not commit. And then he would die the next day. He would be executed. Jesus, when he said those words, no greater love, there's no greater love than to lay down your life for your friends, Jesus knew what was ahead for him in the next 24 hours. He knew his next day would be fatal. Yet, although he had the chance to back out, he didn't. And in conversation with his father, he said that night, Father, I want your will to be done, not mine. And we know it was God's will, and we know it was Jesus' life mission to lay down his life. Now, I've been to uh, quite a few fires uh, in my career as a fire chaplain. And I know that the chief or the incident commander, whoever is in charge of that incident, I know this, that sometimes they have to make choices. Sometimes the choices are immediate. Most of the times they are. This is what we're going to do as he gets to the fire, she gets to the fire and sees what's happening. Choices are made immediately. Calls are made Personnel are put to work, assigned duties in the course of fighting a fire. And they want to know, maybe one of the first things they want to know is, are we going to launch an offensive attack or a defensive attack? Offensive means we're going to send firefighters into the building, especially if we know there are people inside. We're going to go in and we're trying to put the fire out from inside the building. A defensive strategy, defensive attack is either not to send them in, nobody's going in, or once the fire gets out of control and he knows his men and women inside are in danger pulling them out, if he judges the risk to the lives of those fighting the fire to be too high. Because every chief, every chief, every incident commander wants those men and women who came in the truck, who came in the ladder truck, who came... Uh, aboard whatever vehicle they might have come. Every chief wants everybody under his command to go home that day at the end of their shift. And so a good chief would never knowingly send them into a situation from which they would know there's no way for them to survive in there. It's not worth it. And I think as I draw comparisons between what Jesus did in going to the cross and what men and women in public safety do every day in their job as they approach the calls that they go to, especially when they realize that some are, are very dangerous. The biggest difference between what you do, first responders, and what Jesus did was when he went to the cross was this. He knew going in, I'm not coming out. He knew going in, this is certain death. And yet to the chief, if I can use that terminology, who is God and he's not just a good chief, He's a perfect chief. But to the chief and to Christ himself who would fight the blaze, it was worth the risk. Why was it worth the risk? And the answer can be found in John 3.16. God so loved the world, loved it so much, that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him might have everlasting life. It was risk worth the risk to God Almighty to send his son to the cross. Listen to me. Because he looked at you and he looked at me and said, they're worth the risk. They're worth the risk. I love them too much. Jesus knew he would die in the line of duty that day. He knew that unless he stepped between us and certain death, there would be no hope for us. And so he took the nails in his hands and the nails in his feet and the crown of thorns in his head and the whipping to his back and and then he called us his friends. Did you catch that in that verse? Greater love has no man than he lays down his life for his friends. 
He called us his friends. And here's what's so amazing about Jesus using that word. Because the Bible tells us that we were not his friends. In fact, it tells us we were his enemies. And so he must have known something about you and about me before he died. He must have known there's going to be a transformation. Look what it says in Romans chapter 5, verses 10 and 11. For since our friendship with God was restored, it had been lost and we became his enemies, since it was restored by the death of his son while we were still his enemies, we will certainly be saved through the life of his son. So now we can rejoice in our wonderful new relationship with God because our Lord Jesus Christ has made us friends of God. Think back to your school days, elementary school, middle school especially, but did you ever have those days, maybe high school for many of us, did you ever have a kid at school that wasn't your friend but you wished that he or she would be your friend? Remember that the cool kid, whoever it might have been? I wish... That person was my friend. In the olden days, when I went to school, before texting, if we wanted to communicate in classroom, in the classroom, and we wanted to do it covertly, remember what we did? Get a piece of paper, and we we wrote a note on it, you know, and then we folded up in the fourteen times we folded it up. And that note, we would say something like this. I like you. You're laughing because you did this. Raise your hand. Tell the truth. Look at all the hands go up now. I like you. Check the box if you like me. Huh? You remember getting those? You remember sending those? Something like that. And that's how we found out if someone that re we really liked would reciprocate back and like us too. Maybe that's how your husband proposed to you, ladies. I don't know. Check the box. So while, here's what the scripture says, while we were his enemies. I mean, not just, it's not just that we weren't his friends, like he had never met us or anything. We were antagonistic toward him because of our sin, because of our rebellion. While we were his enemies, he died for us so that we could become his friends. That tells us something pretty profound, I think. You know what the profundity of that is? It tells me this. Please get this. For whatever reason, because of his amazing love, God Almighty, who was not my friend, wanted me to be his friend. Wanted you to be his friend. God wanted you and me to be his friend. He didn't send us a note. He sent us his son. It's pretty powerful, isn't it? He wanted us to be his friends. He wanted us to know that the greatest hero of all time, the Lord Jesus, the Son of God, loved us so much that he died he laid down his life for us. And, and let me say this too, and, and most of you can will say, yeah, me too, Rick, but I know that God wanted me to be his friend because I know that he died for me, and if you will, if I can use this terminology, I've checked the box when I put my faith and trust in him. 
Jesus obeyed his orders. He accepted his mission. And because of what he did, we can become his friends. Not because of what I did. He didn't like me. He didn't want me to be his friend because of anything about me or anything about you. He didn't look down on the earth and say, well, there's some mighty fine people there. He loved us when we were his enemies. He loved us when we, we did not deserve any of it. And when Jesus said those words, there's no greater love than this, it was with the knowledge that the next day for him was 9-11. And that on a hill outside the walls of Jerusalem was a place that was his ground zero, where God would provide the sacrifice, where the Son of God would be sent in. And his sacrifice would save millions of hopeless men and women and boys and girls. I often hear the expression about firefighters. Uh, why do firefighters run into a building when everyone else is running out? And the answer is because that's what they do. The answer is because that's their mission, that's their calling. Jesus went to the cross because it was his mission. There was no one else who would do what Jesus did. Just before he said, no greater love, he said, scarcely, it's rare to find a man who would die for his, for his friends. Rare that a man would die for, for his friends. That was his mission, to go to the cross. He willingly laid down his life so that we might have life. And since then, here's the deal. Ever since he died on the cross and then three days later rose from the dead, you know what he's been doing? He's been searching for men and women who are dead in their trespasses and sins. He's been searching for men and women who still are his enemies. He's been searching for men and women that, that he can give his love to, explain that we can explain his love to. He's searching for men and women whose hearts are searching for meaning and purpose forgiveness in life. He's searching for them that he might make them his friends and give them new life. That's what he's been doing these 2,000 years, searching. He found me when I was a 10-year-old boy, and when he found me, he changed my life together, and he's still searching throughout the rubble of mankind. And he searches why? Because he loves us and he wants us to be free from our sin and to have the promise of eternal life. And let me say to those of us gathered, gathered here this morning, if you've never received his free gift, and it's free to us, but it cost him everything. If you've never received his free gift, the Bible says it's simply a matter of believing with your heart that he did that for you. And when you do, the Bible makes this promise, promise God gives. And the promise is this. You now, not only are my friend, but you now possess my everlasting life. What a great God he is. Let's bow for prayer. Will you bow with me? while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I would never make the assumption that everybody in this room has heard what I just, just described before, that everybody in this room has already become a Christian. I would never make that assumption. And so I won't make it today. 
But I would like to say, if there's an opportunity this morning for you, and there is, he's still searching. And maybe you've been searching for him. Maybe you've been seeking him. You want to know, how do I find God? How do I find forgiveness? How can I have the peace of knowing that when I die, my life doesn't end, but I go forever to live in heaven? You've been wondering about that. Today, the good news is the Son of God, Jesus, did all that he did on the cross and then the resurrection to give you his life and give it to you absolutely freely and unconditionally. And if you're here this morning and you would say, Rick, I've never, I never knew how to do that. I never, haven't known what to do to fill the empty spot, the empty hole that's in my heart that only God can fill. But today, I want to put my faith and trust in Jesus Christ as best I know how. And today, I want to say, Jesus, I receive you as my Savior. I believe you died for me. I believe you went to that cross for me. Even though you didn't come out, you died on that cross for me. You died my death. And I accept that. If that's you today and you say, that's what I'm, that's, that's the decision that I'm making right here, right now. I want you to do something for me. I want you to take out a communication card during one of these two songs and I want you to fill it out. And on the back, I want you to check off the very top box on the back side that says, today, today I'm trusting Jesus Christ as my Savior. And then when we finish this morning, during our last song, our pastors are going to be coming up to the front. I want you to hand them a card and say, today, I became God's friend. Will you do that? Let me pray for you. Lord, I don't know what's in anyone's heart, but I know, Father, people are seeking and people are searching, and, and a lot of people, Father, are trying to depend on something that happened maybe in their childhood, maybe a series of classes they went through, the fact that they were baptized or whatever it might have been, but they know there's something lacking, and it's because they've never had this new birth. And so I would pray today, if there's someone like that in this room this morning, that today your spirit might break through their heart and show them how much you love them and that you died, that they might have everlasting life, that you rose to give us life, Jesus. And that by believing in you with all their heart, they become your friends. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. This has been a presentation of Nags Head Church. Love God, love others, reach the world.